biases, our own unconscious biases, our conscious and unconscious acts that have implicitly or explicitly supported systemic and structural racism. And to do this with a sense of, of compassion and love, to more deeply understand how each of us can face these issues with forthrightness, but also with kindness. Uh, and when we're feeling anxious or uncertain about the future, as all of this is doing for us right now, it's easy to panic. I've at times felt very panicky. And when we feel overwhelmed by anxiety and fear, we often can't think clearly. I know that's how I felt last night during uh, watching the early election returns. We often ruminate or continuously thinking the same thoughts over and over, which are often, in my case, sad and dark. We can get caught in a vicious cycle. We know that when we are overwhelmed, it's hard to make good decisions for ourselves and for others. And if we're continually feeling stress, over time, this chronic stress can affect both our body and our mind. And thus, we need to take care of ourselves if we want to be able to continue to care for, for others. Self-care is really the critical issue here for all of us to build our resilience, our energy, and our focus, especially in these times of such high stress. So the question is, what can we do for ourselves, our families, our colleagues? Today, we would like to engage you in a couple of mindfulness practices that have been shown to be helpful through evidence-based study to support our well-being and our resilience. These practices come from the Care Professional Development Program for Educators. Uh, Krista is one of the co-developers and the director of training for CARE. And you can learn more, a, lot, a lot more about CARE at createforeducation.org. But now I'm going to turn it over to Krista, and uh, we'll start to uh, talk about and do some practices. So Krista, take it away. Okay, I mute myself. So, oof. Willem, I want to thank you for the wonderful uh, practice in the beginning. And I want to remember the FOB, the FOB, feet on the floor and bottom on the chair. I think that's a very clear instruction when we start a mindfulness practice. So, what is mindfulness? You know, we often get that question. And for me, you know, mindfulness is really developing the ability to stay in the present moment. So much of our energy, time and attention goes to everything that went wrong yesterday and all the worries for tomorrow. And we really forget to be in the here and now. So when we practice mindfulness, we really, what I call, synchronize our bodies and our mind. we really develop a better understanding of the physical sensations that go along with, with the feeling. And then we can also become aware of the thoughts that usually when we feel, you know, kind of nervous and anxious, and we notice that feeling in our stomach, like for some of us, it's like ants crawling in your stomach. Then you can also become aware of the thoughts that usually feed those thoughts. And when we practice mindfulness, we really learn to see thoughts just as thoughts. They like clouds in the sky. They come and go and change uh, shape all the time. So we're not caught up in those uh, especially negative patterns of thinking, but we can create a pause. So we can take a step back, look at the situation with fresh eyes, 
And so it gives us a choice. We can respond instead of habitually reacting out of fear, out of anxiety, or another emotion. So we have learned in the CARE program that one of the most beneficial practices is to use our breasts. And for this kind of breast to be really beneficial, we really need to inhale deeply through our nose and then slowly exhale. And we know that when we breathe in that way, it calms down our heart rate, it calms down our nervous system, and it really makes it possible for us to stay right here, right now. So I would like to invite you all to sit in what I call a mindful pose. And with that, I mean the feet are flat on the floor, so you really feel supported. Your front is open, your back is straight, but not rigid. Maybe you want to throw your shoulders a little bit, so the air can really come into your body. Sometimes it helps to put your hands on your abdomen. So on the inhalation and the exhalation, you feel the rise and the fall. If you like, you can close your eyes, which I will do, or have a soft gaze downward. So let's take three of those deep diaphragmatic breaths together. And now the invitation is to check in with your body. Do you feel a little bit more together, a little bit more present? And then bring your attention back to the room and open your eyes. You know, this practice for me is always a lifesaver because I always feel a little nervous. When I first start out, I can feel my heart beat a little faster. And after those three deep breaths, I just feel more here, more present. And the beauty is we have the breath visits all the time. We just have to remember to use it. Another pra uh, practice that we have found very beneficial is to set a daily intention. So if I could ask all of you, you know, what kind of person would you like to be? And I'm sure the answer would be, I like to be kind, caring, compassionate, enthusiastic, patient. But in times like now, when we already might worry about the lockdown tomorrow, what's going to happen? Worry about our health, jobs, finances. Maybe we are home with our own children and being 24 seven together with our family can be really challenging. Or maybe you are all by yourself and you feel isolated and alone. Those are times when we feel so far away from the vision we have as nice, kind, caring people. 
So setting a daily intention is like a compass. It keeps us more in alignment with how we want to be, our values, what is important to us. And when we set a daily intention, it helps us reach and align more with those values. But we have to make it small and doable. Because when we make this a goal, we set ourselves up for failure most of the time. So be kind and forgiving to yourself. So I invite you for a moment to just close your eyes and reflect on how do you want to be tonight? What is your intention for maybe this hour that we are together? If it's late at night for you, it might be simple to stay awake. If you know already a lot about mindfulness, it might be to stay open and kind Keep an open mind. So just think for a moment, what is your intention for tonight? So my intention for tonight is to just be here with you and do something joyful for myself. What is your intention? If you have it in your mind, you might say it out loud. And most of the time it's helpful to write it down and check it, check in on it during the day. So if you like, I would like to open the chat box. And if you would not mind sharing your intention with all of us, what's your intention for tonight? They're coming in really fast, so fast that I have a hard time reading them. To be open, to be calm, to be curious, to awake, to be happy, to be calm, offering grace, to be patient, to be kind, to be nourished, do something joyful for myself. Thank you. So we already have talked a lot about emotions. You know, emotions is really the spice of our life. When we can infuse our being with joy and excitement, it's just wonderful. But emotions can also be something that drags us down when we get, you know, too caught up in worry and anxiety. So it's important to check, how am I feeling throughout the day? And we like to use the metaphor of an elevator. You know, emotions are like an elevator. They come and go all day long. And if we pay attention to the signals that emotions give, becoming aware of internally turmoil, that might be a time when we can take a long, deep breath to keep the emotional elevator on a low level. Because if we let it go, if we don't pay attention, 
it will reach the highest floor and comes crashing down, which is very uh, bad for our mental and physical health. So recognizing that emotions are signals and they teach us something. They tell us, for instance, if something feels comfortable or uncomfortable. They tell us how strong do we experience an emotion and how is our physical reaction to an emotion. And the more we know about this, the better we can name how we're feeling, the better we can manage and create more emotional balance. So emotions play a really important role in our lives. And we might not always pay attention, but we also know that emotions leave a physical residue. And it might show up in migraine headaches, intense neck and shoulders, an upset stomach, rumination, not being able to sleep at night. So paying attention to where is that emotional elevator. So if you would um, check in with yourself for a moment, where do you think your emotional elevator is right now? Is it on ground level? Is it on third floor? Where is your emotional elevator? And again, the uh, chat box is open. Ground floor, the second floor, the third floor, fourth floor. Halfway. The middle, the third floor, yeah. Moving between floors, <laughs> yeah. Depending on where my mind is, right? Your mind, your mind can pull you right up to the highest floor. High floor, pleasant and high floor, ground floor, yeah. You know, a really beneficial practice, but we won't have time for it tonight, is at night when you lay in bed, ruminating about everything that went wrong, check in with your body and do a body scan. Where in your body are you holding tension? And then be kind and curious to really explore what that feels like in your body. And then bring your breath to that area of tension and see if you can name it and on the outbreath, just letting it go. And many teachers have told me that this is a really beneficial practice, especially at nighttime when they lay in bed ruminating. Another practice that really can increase our resilience is to be kind, kind to others and kind to ourselves. And this can be very simple things that if you still can go out for a walk, anybody you meet, you can wave and say hello or check in with a family member or an elderly neighbor, see if they need any help or pick up the phone or have more Zoom meetings with your family members. Another silver lining I find in this time that I have more connection with my family now in the Netherlands 
than before. So simple things that really supports our social connection and make us feel part of a bigger whole, part of the human community. But it's also very important that we are kind to ourselves. And I think it's important that we learn to, to uh, talk to ourselves as a good friend would. So I give you an example. When I first have to go online in the beginning of March, the, techno te the technology was a big challenge for me. So I taught myself to be on Zoom, to teach, to do chat, to do polls and to breakout rooms. So one of the first webinars I did, I had 21 participants and I had practice, you know, making breakout rooms. So 21 participants and I made 20 breakout rooms. So all the people except two were by themselves in a room. Now, luckily I only had made them for two minutes and it was at the end. So a good friend called me that day, say, Krista, how did it go? I said, oh, it was terrible. And I could only talk about this stupid mistake I made. She listened, she started laughing. She says, that's actually funny. And then she says, Krista, you know, just keep in mind, everybody knows this is new. A lot of people have the same problem and they will forgive you. And that really got my attention because the question really was, can I forgive myself? So that word forgiveness really captured for me the essence of being listened to. So I would like to invite all of you to think for a moment about a time when you talked to a friend about a difficulty you had. And what was it, what word kept it for you that you felt really listened to, heard, understood, and valued? And then again, I would like to invite you to put that word in the chat box if you wouldn't mind sharing. Well, wonderful, we have a teenager joining us. Acceptance, kind, sincerity, you're safe. They said it's okay, connected. Hard for you. Empathy, love. Mistakes are part of you being human. It's okay and intentions. Yeah, thank you for sharing, you know, and that's what we have to keep in mind, that when it's difficult, that we start talking to ourselves as a friend would. Another way of, you know, really supporting our own well-being and um, resilience is to just reflect on everything in our lives that are still good, that we are grateful for. Like I'm grateful that I'm living in a nice home, in a nice environment. I can still go outside for walks. 
I'm living with a partner that most of the time we get along. So just small things that really can boost our feeling of it's okay. I have a good friend who goes on a walk every day and she puts three marbles in her left pocket, left side pocket. And she makes sure that at the end of our walk, those three marbles are in the other pocket. Because whenever she sees something she feels grateful for on her walk, she puts one of the marbles in the other pocket. Another idea is to keep a journal and at nighttime write down three things you're grateful for that day. And then in times when you feel desperate, you feel overwhelmed, you can read, okay, these are things I'm grateful for. Or what families have done is to make a grateful gratefulness jar where everybody in the family throughout the day writes down what they're grateful for and put it in the jar. And then at dinner time, each family member takes a note and reads what is on the note, something you're grateful for. So these are all really simple, simple things that we can do to really increase and support our own well-being. So I would like to uh, close with one more practice. And this is what we call the caring practice. And this practice is really um, meant, the essence of this practice is to keep our own heart open. But in this practice, we're going to um, send you know, wishes for our own well-being to ourselves. And then we extend it to other people. So again, I would like to invite you to sit in our mindful pose, feet flat on the floor, feel your bottom on the chair, your front is open, back is straight, your hands can be in your lap, or your eyes can be closed or having a soft gaze downward. And bring your attention into your body, noticing you sitting on the chair. And let's start with those three deep breaths to synchronize body and mind again. So having synchronized our bodies and our mind, I am inviting you to bring your attention to yourself. And I am going to use the phrases, may I be safe and protected, may I be well, may I stay loving and kind to myself and others in this difficult time. But if these phrases don't really fit with your beliefs, the invitation is to use different phrases. 
So let's bring our attention to ourselves. May I be safe and protected. May I be well. May I stay loving and kind to myself and others. And the invitation here is to really, truly let this sink in. Being grateful for everything you do on a daily basis. So may I be safe and protected. May I be well. May I stay loving and kind to myself and others. May I be safe and protected. May I be well. May I stay loving and kind to myself and others. And now I invite you to bring your attention to somebody you care about. And I hope you have many, many people in your life, but see if you can just pick one person and see if you can imagine that person in front of you. And let's extend these wishes to this person. May you be safe and protected. May you be well. May you stay loving and kind to yourself and others. And the invitation is to let this flow from your heart to this person you care about. May you be safe and protected. May you be well. May you stay loving and kind to yourself and others. May you be safe and protected. May you be well. May you stay loving and kind to yourself and others. So now we're gonna put this person aside. And I invite you to think about a person that you don't know too well. It could be somebody in the store, a clerk, maybe your postman or woman, maybe a colleague or neighbor. And if you have that person in mind, let's wish them well. May you be safe and protected. May you be well. May you stay loving and kind to yourself and others. And again, let this flow from your heart to this person. May you be well. May you be safe and protected. May you stay loving and kind to yourself and others. May you be safe and protected. May you be well. May you stay loving and kind to yourself and others. Now we're gonna put this person aside. And now the invitation is to think about a person who is a little difficult for you. The invitation here is to keep in mind that people we find troublesome might, like Rumi says, need 
our love and care the most. So see if you can think about somebody that is a little troublesome. We want to start slow, not somebody our feelings are really strong, but something that is manageable. And if we have this person in mind, let's wish them well. May you be safe and protected. May you be well. May you stay loving and kind to yourself and others. The invitation here is to keep in mind that this person, just like us, wants to be safe and well and protected. But if you notice your feelings are stronger than you expected, then the invitation is to go back to your natural way of breathing. Just hang out for a moment. And if you feel ready, see if you can come back to this person. May you be well. May you stay loving and kind to yourself and others. And may you be safe and protected. May you be safe and protected. May you be well. May you stay loving and kind to yourself and others. And now we're going to put this person aside. And I invite you to think about all the people right now here together from all over the world, this connection. And let's wish all of us well and be supported and safe. May we all be safe. May we all be well. May we all stay loving and kind to ourselves and others in this challenging time. May you all be safe and protected. May you all be well. May you all stay loving and kind to yourself and others. May you be safe and protected. May you all be well. May you all stay loving and kind to yourself and others. And now I invite you to bring your attention one more time to yourself. Being grateful that you take this time for yourself to support your own well-being so you can be the best parent, friend, colleague, partner you can be. May I be safe and protected. May I be well. And may I stay loving and kind 
to myself and others in this challenging time. And I invite you to take another long, deep breath. See if you can let go of some of the worries. Maybe another deep breath in and letting go. And I invite you to bring your attention back to the screen. Open your eyes if they were closed. And I thank you all for being present, practicing together. And as I said before, this came from the care program. But as you can see, this is really, these skills are really useful for all of us. And Mark will tell you a little bit about the research behind the care program. Well, thank you so much, Krista. Um, this all began with a meeting with His Holiness in Dharasala in, um, in 2000, the Destructive Emotions meeting. When His Holiness said to us, I was sitting on a couch next to two other scientists and a Buddhist monk, uh, if we know so much from the West about the nature of emotions and relationships, and we know so much from the East about the nature of mind, why aren't there models or curriculums to help normal, everyday people uh, become more caring and compassionate with others? And that was where the beginning of the care curriculum uh, began to evolve, and we've been working on this idea for now about 20 years. Um, CARE stands for Cultivating Awareness and Resilience in Education. And by the way, if you go to that website, createforeducation.org, you can listen to a number of other practices done by both Krista and Tish Jennings that uh, come from the CARE curriculum. Uh, in CARE, we're realistic about the time that teachers have to do additional practices. And we focused on those that are practicable, doable, and effective. Um, many of you may have long sitting practices like Krista and I, and by the way, we'd like to answer questions in just a few minutes. And if you have questions about our work, about uh, your, your concerns, about our practices, our own practice, uh, we'd love to answer anything. But we don't expect busy teachers, most of them, I'd say 90, 95% of them to become daily, regular meditators sitting on a pillow. Uh, many of them are just too busy to do that for all kinds of reasons. And actually, uh, sometimes they take, uh, have resistance to this idea because it doesn't fit their lifestyle. So instead, we focus on having them practice mindfulness in action. To be mindful and compassionate in our everyday interactions with others, that's, that's really the true north. That's, that's the goal, isn't it? So practices such as taking three breaths, setting an intention, uh, short mindfulness and compassion practices are really essential to our work. How much time does it take to set an intention for the day? Very little. You can do it. I do it in the shower, usually in the morning. Um, uh, I often talk about this as windshield work. Uh, if you're driving to work, uh, before you, uh, you turn off the engine and uh, just hold on to the uh, steering wheel for a minute and just ask yourself, how would I like to be today? How would I like to show up for others? Very simple. And we think that these simple short practices are really the key to the work of very busy people. 
And we've conducted very careful randomized trials on the effects of care on educators in both the US and in Europe. And these studies show that we can increase teachers' resilience, their mindfulness, how much they enjoy their actual job of teaching, as well as reduce their stress and symptoms of depression. Further, through high quality observations of their actual teaching in the classroom, uh, in a large study in New York City, we've shown that it actually improves the quality of their instruction to their students, even though we don't ever talk about their instruction or pedagogy. But doesn't this make sense? We all know that when we're feeling fine, when we feel connected to others, then others are more caring and responsive to us. And this is true not only of teachers, but of all of us. So at this time, uh, maybe Willem, I'll hand it back to you. And let's see if there's any questions or thoughts of others. Yes, so please jump in with questions for Mark and Christopher. As Mark says about the extraordinary program of work that they've developed for both teachers and children over the years, um, and, but also about the practices that they introduced as well. Um, and we'll just um, harvest some of the questions um, as they come up. But I'm afraid I'm going to be a bit selfish and kick off with a question for Krista and Mark. Three top tips you've learned in your careers to introduce compassion and awareness into schools. What, what are the three biggest learnings from your careers about how to um, uh, cultivate a climate of uh, awareness and compassion in schools? Well, I, I guess, uh, Krista, I'm glad to start. Yeah. We often don't go to a school and, and tell pe people we're going to teach them how to become more mindful because there's resistance to that kind of approach we found. Instead, we join with teachers on how stressful their work is. And then we talk about the idea that we can help them. And we have some ideas that we've proven in other places that can help teachers to really enjoy their work and create more joy in their day and, uh, and more joy as, as a teacher. And that when we do that, they'll also see effects on children. And I would add to that, uh, Willem, to stay very practical because, you know, when you work with teachers, when you work with principals, the first thing an educator will tell you, we don't have time. So to make it very practical and very easily integratable into their daily uh, work. And oftentimes we offer, you know, just an hour introduction to give the people, you know, a feel for what care is. Because one of the biggest um, problems that I have is getting across to teachers that this is really a program for them, not something they have now to go back into their um, classrooms and teach, that this is really meant for their own uh, growth. Um, so there's an interesting question in the chat um, for you both. Thank you for the answer to that question about um, this idea of mindfulness in action being introduced playfully for children as well as for teachers. Well, I, I, I guess I can join with that. Um, I, I, of course, this is a developmental question and, and there are many ways to teach mindfulness. By the way, one of the most important things that we teach, which we haven't discussed today, is how to deeply listen how to do what we would call deep mindful listening, which is probably the most important skill, I believe, that we teach in the long run. Uh, and how you do this with kids really depends on their age. And um, 
I think it can be done very, very playfully. It, this is not a serious topic necessarily, um, but there are some skills to practice. And um, what we wanna make sure is when we do things that are playful, that they incorporate the skills that are the goal of things. So if our goal, for example, is to build children's attentional capacity, then we wanna make sure that that playful uh, event does that. So for example, uh, in, a, in US and, and European culture, we have games that are encoded in our culture that uh, we, we might call them executive function inhibition games, like Mother May I. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you've ever played red light, red light, green light that I played with my grandmother at night in the summer. But these are games that are about listening. They're about attention and, and inhibitory control. And, and um, I was just having a conversation with uh, another mindfulness scientist about talking with Tibetan uh, teachers about what games they might be playing in the monasteries that are culturally mediated that do the same things in other cultures. Um, and the, to the extent that we can use these culturally mediated games, uh, I think that, that children find are fun, uh, we're much more likely to teach them the skills in a way that will uh, really help them. Because when we get too serious, uh, uh, and we've, we've done studies, of course, this with high school students, uh, it can get a bit heavy. And so the more playful I think we are at times, the more successful we'll be in encouraging them to use the skills. Mm -hmm. So, um, thank you, Mark. So there's a couple of questions about working with teenagers, and I think this is coming from two places, those who work professionally with teenagers and those who live with teenagers. Any, um, uh, I think the question is about kind of practices, mindfulness practices that are particularly helpful for teenagers. Well, you know, working with teenagers and especially your own uh, teenagers, what I have found very helpful is that taking those three deep breaths and realizing they are not out to get me, not to take it so personally, which is very hard when it's your own child. Uh, usually when we work with teenagers that are not our own children, we have a little bit more patience. Um, but with, with their own uh, teenagers, you know, that taking that long deep breath, taking a step back, noticing that I'm triggered right now, and can I respond instead of, you know, reacting to this, this um, trigger that, that, that situation that I was triggered in. And another one is the listening, using the listening, listening to your teenager, you know, and, and one of the most powerful conversations you usually have is in the car when the teenager is behind you and you are driving. That's often when they come up with, you know, telling you something because they know they have your full attention and you cannot really react because <laughs> you're also driving. Um, you know, research, on, research on mindfulness in children is mixed, I think, at this point. And I think that the enthusiasm of adults about this has gone way past the evidence at this point. Um, We've just completed a study of learning to breathe uh, in, the, in the US and uh, you actually can find a video uh, where students talk about their experience on the web. Uh, and I think one of the most useful things is, uh, the most important thing here is motivation. What, what is the motivation? Children are um, like prisoners in schools. They don't have much choice about any of this. And so how do we create a motivational context in which the mindfulness practices are useful to them. And we have found often that finding the context in which they 
uh, are struggling to achieve. Uh, for example, um, uh, we, ha we had a student who was on the swim team and, and she learned that the doing the three breaths or a mindfulness practice just before comp competitions helped her. She, she visibly saw that. We had other students who thought that it was better for them when they were preparing for tests or how to work with a boss in a, in a part-time job. But the point here is to find something meaningful that they are struggling with, that's a challenge, and having them apply it in a real situation is really, I think, important because otherwise they see this as just another thing that adults want them to do. So the motivational issues, I think, are the biggest struggle in education because of the, quote, prison situation that I believe that uh, most children and adolescents feel that they're in. Right. Thank you both. I'm just looking to see if there's any. Um, so there's just finished maybe on this one, which is relates to you personally, but also what you've taught to how what do you see is the balance between the longer practices and the shorter practices you introduced today in your own lives? How do the longer practices support the shorter practices? Um, um, do you need to do both or is one better than the other? Why have you chosen to do it the way you've chosen to do it? That's the question. Well, Chris and I are, are long-term meditators, and we've been part of an ashram in the Advaita tradition for, for many years, for more than, more than 20 to 30 years. And in that tradition, uh, like in many traditions, we do long practices, long sits. And the long sits and going on retreat, I think, are really essential to really begin to understand the nature of mind, the real nature of the mind and how it works, and how with repeated practice over long, long periods, over 10 days or two weeks, one sees the nature of the contents of mind change. And I don't think that can be, ever be done in very short practices, at least not in my phenomenological experience. But I think that short practices can be very helpful and practical for people. And even if they haven't been on a retreat, many of them find a great deal of benefit from them. I think that when I recruit a short practice, it's tied to my longer experience of, of long practices and, and they reinforce each other. Krista, what are, what's your thought? Uh, you know, I think that the longer sitting is, is deepening, is deepening your own practice. But, you know, in the work what, that I do with the teachers, I know that most of them, uh, you know, as I said before, most, most teachers will tell you we don't have time. So I wanted to, in, in creating the program, I wanted to be very practical, things that are easily integrated. And you can be mindful without becoming a long um, sitting meditator. So that was my, my motivation for making this very, very practical. Now we, we um, encourage people and we have longer, longer uh, practices that people can uh, uh, access on our website. But the intention is really for teachers to be present in the classroom, to keep an open mind, to stay joyful, to enjoy their job again, because teachers become teachers because they feel that they have something valuable to give to the students. And that's what we want to um, uh, work on. And that, that's what we want to enhance. Thank you. We're just coming up for the hour. And I want to just loop back to where I started and thank um, Crystal and Mark for 
the generosity of joining us um, this evening. And um, to say what I said at the beginning is my respect for both of you is just is extraordinary. The depth of wisdom and experience that you bring to this area of work just shines through in everything that you say and also how you are. And um, we feel very privileged to have had you here speaking to us this evening. So thank you very much.